You know, I have lived in some other places in my life than Gloucester City. And to be honest, in just about every single way, they were much harder places than Gloucester City. But I have to say that there is a, a spirit of, of negativity that sits over this town. It's what I've seen in the last four years being here. There is this, this hopeless attitude, a sense that, that things, you know, they come to other people and other places, but they never come to me. They never come here. You know, I, I've heard it. You know, I'm a Gloucester guy. Things don't work out. I got this and that record. You know who else has this and that record? Everyone everywhere. And somehow they have this drive to come up like a plant coming up from the ground. And yet it's like a life sentence because at one point you got arrested, right? But I have seen a sense of despair and a sense of I don't have to try. I lived in Kensington for 10 years. Families from there. Great grandmothers from there. Grandmother, mother. <laughs> Place ruled by violence and addiction and mental illness and abuse. We lived for five years in Africa, we lived in Rwanda. A place of war and genocide. A place where it's normal to meet someone who's an orphan. They have a special word for the type of orphan that doesn't have any cousins, doesn't have an aunt or uncle, doesn't have any blood relative. Like we don't need a word for that in English. But there are many people like that. place where instability reigns, where survival is every day. And the normal life, not the life of like the bag lady or the, the person there that's a little strange and off, but the, the average regular Joe is happy if he eats every four days. Grew up as a kid. Sometimes we'd be crashing at family's house, sometimes in a motel. Every single year, practically, I went to a different school. And let me tell you something, as someone who loves Gloucester, we have a word for Gloucester City from God himself. We have a word for Gloucester from this text that our sister Lila read for us just moments ago. Gloucester, you've stopped waiting. You stopped trying. You stopped hoping. There's a word for you. There's a word in this season that we call Advent, which means the coming, the arrival, as we join together with churches all over the world and we wait and we remember how God's people waited for a Messiah to come, for a Savior to come, for someone who was going to set everything that was wrong right. 
Tonight I want to remind you. This Christmas I want to remind you. No matter how long you have to wait, Christ is coming. We see in this story that death and sickness and suffering, it doesn't have a zip code. It doesn't leave one zip code alone in the world. That death and sickness and suffering doesn't leave any race alone in the whole world. That death and sickness and suffering doesn't even leave age alone. Like death does not leave little kids alone. What do we see in the story? We see Jairus, right? Jairus. In a lot of translations, in our translation it says a leader in the synagogue. Um, a lot of translations say a ruler in the synagogue. Doesn't say a rabbi or anybody like a scribe or anything like that, but just a ruler. And some of you have been in churches where there's been a ruler, and it wasn't Jesus. <laughs> It wasn't even the pastor. We got churches, sometimes they're called family-owned and operated. <laughs> Just being real. <laughs> I think some of you have experienced it. Jairus was important. Jairus was zealous. Jairus was wealthy. He had influence. But you know what? His daughter was sick. So this important man's daughter was sick. He was so important, he was able to send messengers to go find that miracle worker. We heard about this guy, Jesus, and he's doing all this stuff. And we've been talking about this for weeks now, where Jesus heals people, where he does stuff that nobody else does, where he touches lepers, where he gives sight to the blind, where he casts out demons. And when we read in the text, is what we see is that his little girl is sick to the point of death. And so he sends people out, please bring Jesus to our house. Maybe he can do something for her. Nothing will stop you in your tracks like a child facing death. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not a very, I'm not a guy that frightens very easily, <laughs> you know, like I'm not stressed to like to ride a motorcycle, I like to travel around the world and I've been in prayer meetings where, you know, hey, somebody threw a grenade in this room last week <laughs> in the Congo, right, you know, I don't fear being sick. I don't fear unbelief. I don't fear dysfunction. I don't fear mental illness. I don't fear addiction, right? Like I'm not afraid to enter into messy situations. But when our daughter got sick and paralyzed in Africa, I was afraid. And I'd do anything to trade places with her. As she sat there unable to sit up, as she sat there unable to focus her eyes on anything, and they were moving around like this in her head, going in all different directions, and nobody knew what was wrong with her. 
All I want to do is climb, climb into that little bed and, 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 and be sick and let her climb out, right? That's what a mother does. That's what a father does. When you see your kid suffering, you're like, I would do anything to trade places. I would do anything to be in that sick bed so that you could be walking around, so that you could be well. something happened they sent the messengers out to get Jesus to heal this important man's 12 year old child but Jesus got delayed and he was delayed by a woman who had been suffering for 12 years a woman who was hemorrhaging, who was bleeding for 12 years. And she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, it says that Jesus felt the power coming out of him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? You know, I've been told by godly men and women that there is a cost for God's anointing. It isn't free. <laughs> it isn't easy. And it's true. When I have really preached, when I have preached and said, yeah, that wasn't me, God just sort of showed up. <laughs> and God took the wheel. And things were happening that I had no control over. You know, when that has happened, every single time, it has taken everything. I have to put my body and soul on the altar. I have to give it up for all of you, right? And any time that God has spoken through me, any time that I have heard from him, any time that I have prayed and seen God work in a powerful way, right, that doesn't come easy. That doesn't come without a cost. Jesus felt the power leave him. You know, to live in union with Christ to, to be humble and abide in him, to, to not be selfish, that's just like 101, you got to start there, okay? So if you're just operating in yourself, in your selfishness, and in your drama, and in your need, like you don't, you're not even in the same galaxy. But to give everything of yourself, and to let God's love wash through you, flow through you, let his power come through you and out of you to others. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will be like a well of water. I mean, people have gotten converted just hearing that. They're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't know what this well of living water springing up inside of me is. And that's what Jesus said you're supposed to have. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're united with Jesus, listen, your life's going to still be jacked up. You're still going to have all kinds of problems, but there's something in you. There's a new source of power. There's a new source of love. And you can, you can 
Love people, not on your own, not just powering through it, not just like, oh, I got to go to church, I got to go cook food for 200 people, I got to, Pastor Joe's always asking me to do this and that, clean up after the youth, they never clean up, all this stuff, right? No, like, like you're like, I want to build this from the ground up because God is working in me and through me. Jairus, he called for Jesus. He sent his people. You know? I mean, I respect that. You know? I've got people. <laughs> you know? When people threaten me. I say, you know what? I got a lot of mentally unstable people that would fight for me in Gloucester. So you could try and come to my house. All my neighbors are for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got people. <laughs> Jairus had people. He had people who could just send. The woman had nobody. The woman was invisible. And the woman reached out and touched him, and she instantly knew that she was healed. And that day, having that continual bleeding problem meant that you know what? She was unclean, and everything she touched was unclean. So if she touched this podium, you know, a holy man would never touch this podium. If she touched the table and she sat down, no one was going to sit there, right? And we can say, you know, wow, they were really unsophisticated back in the day, but... We may not think in terms of ceremonial, clean and unclean, but I, I, I bet you when we think about certain disabilities, we, we're, we're looking and we're, we're gawking and our eyes are open. Uh, a few months ago, I was sitting at the gas station and I saw a car of about five guys roll down their window and shout at a homeless guy, somebody that everybody knows in town that hangs out right there at Broadway and Market and said the nastiest things to him until he began to cry. That you're worthless. And you're like, well, I, I, we don't do that. But, but listen to me. Maybe you would treat somebody with respect with a missing leg. But a lot of us struggle with people who are struggling with mental illness. And we might not talk about ceremonial, clean and unclean, but we say, that person is a mess, and everything she touches is a mess. That person is unclean, and everything that she touches is unclean. There are people we moonwalk away from, and we just don't have the patience for. And you've got family like this, you've got neighbors like this, and you may be this person. But listen to what I'm saying. Your healing isn't just to the root cause of your pain, but it, but it extends out to all the symptoms. And this woman now, she not only has, you know, her body made whole, but she's able to be in relationship with people again. She's able to go to the temple again. She's able to be clean again. She's able to be in community again. And that's what the gospel does. 
that people who are sick, people who are broken, are brought in to family. Part of our mission is, right, make disciples of Jesus who what? Become a family together. And we become a family together even before the healing is complete. And we also know that every single person that Jesus healed got sick again and died. <laughs> right? And yet we hold each other's hands to the grave as family. Because Jesus makes us clean. And Jesus makes us whole. And Jesus heals us. You know, if you could just see 1% of how powerful Jesus is tonight. Like, if you could just see 1% of how good this story is tonight. When we are in our suffering and our pain, you know what happens is we doubt either that God is good or that he's powerful. It's usually one of those two things. And, 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 and sometimes it's like, check both. <laughs> right? But sometimes it's like, yeah, I mean, God's there, but I just don't think he can lift. This thing is just too big and heavy. There's just some things that can't be lifted. And then there are other times when our mind goes like, God can do anything. I know that he spoke the world into existence, but you know what? He doesn't think about me. And we feel like the woman who's invisible, who isn't seen, who isn't important in the eyes of the world. One man came requesting and sending his people. The other came and touched without asking. One had an innocent 12-year-old girl. And the other was hopeless, a hopeless old woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. One came from a family that had influence, and the other was invisible even to the disciples. And we see this theme a lot in the gospel. Children, women, people that are poor. There's these people that in the day of Jesus' time were like invisible, and Jesus is like, nope, going to shine a spotlight right on them. The Syrophoenician woman, the, 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 um, the woman at the well, right, the Sumerian, these people who are like ethnically other than Israelites, ethnically other than Jewish, Jesus is like, guess what? Everybody who is, you know, invisible to you, I see. And you might have been in a church and you might have experienced this to some degree, and it might be partly on your own, you know, because you're hiding yourself. It might be because people don't see you, but you might be invisible to your family. You might be invisible to the church. You might be invisible to me, to the pastor, wherever you go. But you're not invisible to Jesus. He sees you. Where does the light Jesus need to shine in your darkness? I had a Quaker friend who, he would always pray. This is a friend from Kenya, and he always pray. This is the old Quaker prayer, and he said, you know, may Christ be born in our hearts as we celebrate his birth during Christmas time. May, may it just not be like a story and a bunch of songs that we hear at the mall, and, and you know what I mean, and just go through the motions, but would he be born in us? Last week, I preached on the parable of the sower. It talked about how, you know, th th that, like, you can, 
word of God can go all over the place, but unless God switches on the lights and shows you who you are and shows you your need for him, you're in the dark. But when he does turn on the lights, what happens is you love something new you didn't love before. You rearrange your life for the cause of Christ. You love his people. You love his word. You love this meal right behind me. You love his teachings. You love breaking bread. You love going to shepherding group. You rearrange your schedule and you make it a priority to be with God's people, to serve and do whatever you can to be in a spot where you hear and are reminded of the fact that our sister so beautifully started this service with, that you are deeply loved. That you are deeply loved. Our prayer for ourselves and this community needs to be this, that the light of Christ would be flipped on in this town. But it's got to start with us, right? So let's pray that the lights get turned on. We don't have um, regular lights in this, this old church, right? We have the circuit breakers that turn on all the lights up here. And let's pray that like the lights, the circuit breakers, they're just all like flipped on and there's a ton of light. And as we hear the prophet Isaiah prophesying 600 years before Christ and says, arise, your light has come. Let's pray that people would see Jesus. Psalm 63 says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Do you believe that? That God's love is greater than life itself? So God heals this woman, but guess what? This child dies because he's delayed. And so, as you and I would do, they stop, they give up hope. Right? And the text says that the people around Jairus say, stop bothering the teacher. Guys, I, I, I want you and Jesus wants you to keep bothering your teacher. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Like, keep bothering the teacher. <laughs> Right? Like Jesus doesn't turn away the rich, influential family who's suffering with their daughter, right? Like death hits every zip code, death hits every race. Death, it doesn't matter how good your life is, at some point you're going to end up in a casket, right? And we all, at the end of the day, no one is better than anybody else. And we all need the Lord to be saved. And I want you to know that Jesus doesn't want you to stop bothering him. You've been in pain. You've been waiting for someone that you love to come to church, to get sanity, to come to the right mind. You've been waiting for some breakthrough. Don't stop bothering the teacher. Don't stop bothering the master. Keep coming to Jesus because he is never tired of hearing you cry out to him. What happens? <laughs> I mean, 
It's just so beautiful. He, he comes into the room and tells this little girl to come up. Get up. Listen, I, like I said, every, every person, including that little girl, eventually, our, our bodies are seed, right? And they, they, have to, they have to die and be buried that they might rise again. Right? And um, this is something that we can all say 100%. We can say this. This gives me a ton, a ton of hope. <laughs> right? When I visit anyone, and I don't care who it is, and when I visit them in jail, when I, when I visit them in a you know, in hospital, in the psych ward, on the street, under the bridge, wherever, Right? been all those places, right? When I visit somebody, I can look at their situation, and I can say often, right? After church tonight, in fact, I'm going to go talk to somebody, right, who was taken in by somebody in our churches from the street and, and doesn't know what to do. And I know I'll go and I'll talk to them, and I will not have the answers necessarily. It may be helpless in terms of what we can do as a church, in terms of solutions that we could come with. Situations may be helpless in our own power, but they are never hopeless. And this is what I want you to hear. You may be helpless to change, and you may be helpless to save yourself, and you may be helpless to become what God has called you to do, and it may be helpless for you to be healed and experience his love, but it's never hopeless. And I say it's never hopeless because this is something that I would bet my entire life, and not just would, but have. If you are united to Jesus... You can be a loser in this life and suffer nothing but defeat after defeat. But when you close your eyes in this life and open them up in the next, you will see God face to face. And he will accept you and fill you with his love. I believe 100% that there are people that I have walked with who have struggled with addiction. And they came and they genuinely, and we baptized them, and they were so on fire for Jesus, and they loved him. And they experienced family for the first time, love for the first time, hope for the first time, and it was real. And in the weakness of their flesh, they overdosed and died. And I believe that they fell into the hands of God. No matter how helpless our situation may be. You can be Jairus' daughter, already dead in the bed. Jesus can raise us up. No matter how helpless your marriage seems to be, no matter how helpless your relationship with your family seems to be, no matter how helpless you seem to be in whatever situation you're in, I want you to hear that it is never ever hopeless don't stop bothering the teacher amen, amen.